I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Carrie Nelson. And we love to watch. We love to watch wants to tell you about Teramisu. No sleep till! Seattle! Oh, wait, no, I mean, they sleep in, they don't sleep in Seattle. Uh, no sleep at, at all! Dun, nah. All the quotes, Peter, that's the one you go for? <laughs> that, that, Rob Reiner, that weird Rob Reiner bar scene made me laugh more than anything in the movie, to be honest. Like, the movie's funny, but that, that, whole, that whole string, like, it was like Rob Reiner at his funniest. He's very underused in the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I re- I really thought you were going to start with We Love to Watch. Our podcast got sick. It happens. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll save that a little. Uh, and also, Peter, you owe me an apology from last week. Very important. So last I'll week... Just, we wait, hold on. Before you say anything, I'm sorry. I'm sure I did a lot wrong. But just like blanket apology. Very specific. Wrong. You watching Joe vs. the Volcano were like, look, I got a point. I got a sticking point I want to talk to you about. The songs in this movie are not good. Now that you've watched Sleepless in Seattle for the first time, I feel like you owe me an apology because the songs in Joe vs. the Volcano, in my opinion, are still pretty tacky uh, soundtrack songs, but this movie has the worst soundtrack of all time. I think um, in this one, it's more underplayed. Like, it's not as much a blast. You sound like an thing. apology. <laughs> <laughs> I already apologized. Now I'm walking it back. Oh, okay. Um, but yes, anyways, where we love to watch, we're a movie podcast. Uh, we pick a theme, and each month we do movies around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. And this month's an easy one to remember to do that because uh, we are doing uh, America's very specific Sweethearts Month, which is Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks films where they start together, and then at the end of the month, two that they did not start together. Uh, and this is our second week. We did Joe vs. the Volcano uh, last week. And we're on to their second movie together in our second episode, Sleepless in Seattle. And we're joined once again. Is this your fourth appearance? This is my fifth. This is your fifth appearance? Uh-huh. Oh so Never Ending Story, Tokyo Tribe, uh, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. What am I forgetting? And Carrie. Kill- <laughs> All right. I'm going to leave. We forgot <laughs> Carrie and Carrie? <laughs> Oh my gosh, Peter, I forgot to sew the five-timers club jacket. Because you (laughs) specifically told me it was four, not that I forgot. Dude, be chill. She might not know about the jacket. You got the the four-timers club vest done, though, right? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, the four-timer vest went out like last week. Oh, thank God, okay. I mean, you can't give her a vest and then a jacket. Like, what is she making, a fucking three-piece suit for We Love to Watch merch? 
I have a very good three-piece suit, and I would love to have a second one just <laughs> for your podcast. It's always good. I look very good in menswear. Yeah, it doesn't it feel good when you have like a really good article of dress wear, and then you get to bump it down for the new guy? It'd be great. Then yeah. you can start wearing our We Love to Watch formal wear wherever you go. <laughs> so you guys may laugh at me, but this is a real realization I'm having on this podcast. I always thought a three-piece suit, the three pieces were pants, jacket, and tie. Are you saying the vest is the third <laughs> yeah, piece? Yeah, the vest is yeah. the third piece. So it really should be called a four-piece suit. <laughs> no. No, because it's not a suit without a tie usually. Yeah, that's the third piece. No, no. Tie? What do you think the three pieces are? Rock me through this I, again. I told you. Pants. Okay. Right? Yeah. You gotta, you gotta wear pants. What is it gonna... And then jacket? Okay. The pants and the jacket are the same thing. Mm, they seem like different articles of clothes when I put them They're on. different articles of clothing, but like in suit buying, they're considered like the same part of the thing. Yeah, like the three you want pieces... Them to match exactly, which is like almost impossible to do without buying them together. Exactly. Like the three pieces are things that you can that you like basically get individually. So you get See? like the pants and the jacket and you get the vest and then you get the tie. So yeah, it's the three you're saying so you're saying the tie is part of it. It's the pants that are part of a three piece suit? No, no, the pants and the jacket count as the same one. Yeah. Where's where are the oh, shoes? Oh, sorry. So uh, it's the shoes and the, the shoes, the belt and the, t- and the you tie are all accessories. Shoes. Go on a website and find me Look. where those items are. It's going to be under fucking accessories, Aaron, you dipshit. You're Look. never supposed to wear shoes when you wear a suit. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Barefoot always. Aaron, just be cool. Be cool. She's New Yorker. She understands she understands fashion. She knows all the cool new trends. The new trend is that you get hypothermia in your feet whenever you wear a suit. Oh, we're walking without shoes here. Hey, I'm walking barefoot here. Um <laughs> So, uh, no, I'm I'm fine admitting I was wrong my entire life about <laughs> about what a three piece suit means. Here's what I would I would offer, and whoever mm. named that did understand what a piece is. <laughs> One thing. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. And and to rebut you and maybe back off this a little bit, um, go fuck yourself. Can't argue with that logic. <laughs> uh, anyways, I do. We're joined by a uh, suit educator, uh, Carrie Nelson. <laughs> Carrie, wait, Carrie. I have to introduce... ask you. I have to ask yeah. you. Can she introduce at, herself? And then as a yeah, Carrie, you're Carrie Nelson. Everybody should know you. If they don't know you, they're idiots. Tucker I've and on, versus Evil. Carrie been on some shows. Carrie on Carrie. Let her introduce herself. <laughs> Um, Hi. I, I, I really wanted to get into three-piece suits more, though, before... Yeah, I want to know your question. Um, do women get more opportunities to wear three-piece suits? And if that question is boring, do New Yorkers get more opportunities to wear three-piece suits? Um, I mean, women get... Women who want to wear three-piece suits get the opportunity. Like, oh, if yeah. you're the kind of woman that wants to own a suit, you find every opportunity you possibly can to wear that suit. Hell yeah. I was I was best man in a wedding a few years ago, and I was like, so this means I get to buy a suit and match all the boys, right? <laughs> so that was, like, the most exciting thing about it. That's and rad. ever since then, I've been like, what formal occasion can I wear my suit at? Yeah. Hey, Carrie, can you introduce yourself so he can stop talking about suits? Hi, my name is Carrie. Um, I really like wearing suits. I live in New York, a city where people wear suits all the time. <laughs> um, my my most 
my wo- my most fun fact that I have not shared here that is relevant to this episode is that um, one of my earliest childhood crushes was Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Which I feel like is very fitting with the suit image. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know this was her second movie. Yeah. I, I guess I always assumed it's one of those things where like when you discover someone when you're nine... Which to the first movie I saw her in was League in, League of League of Their Own. I saw that, which was her first movie. Theaters. Yeah, and when you see someone like that who has that much screen presence, you assume this isn't their first movie. People seem to know who she is. She's on the poster. Yeah. Um, so I until now until this podcast when I looked it up, I was like, oh wait, she didn't have things like movies before this. Uh, she did so, yeah. stand up, I think, right? She did. She was a, she was a stand up, and it's and it's uh it's very well well said, Aaron. Um, I I think that they probably that's probably not an accident. It's probably that producers, and I think they've backed away from it somewhat, but they still do it. They will often hire a stand up to add like a little charisma by the, behind the camera and like just a natural like presentation quality. But they and they expect like, oh, just having this comedian there will be really funny. Um, so it's probably not a mistake that she was such a natural because she was probably not a, a natural at stand up for like, I don't know, five, ten years. And yeah. then she got to work through all that shit on stage in front of yeah. drunk, angry audiences. And then by the time she got to a set, she was like, everyone's being nice to me. I feel very comfortable. <laughs> yeah. And that kind yeah, of exactly. is, in some ways, this that's uh, this movie in a nutshell, like this movie is not a movie I saw in theaters, but I remember this so vividly. And this movie, like, for, when it came out in 1993, I was 10. It was, like, the summer of Jurassic Park. I was old enough to walk to the theater near my house. So, like, 1993 was, like, my movie year of, like, I am now seeing anything that's PG uh, that is near the theater at my house, which was not Sleepless in Seattle. But since I was like, I saw Gettysburg three times in the theater because it was near the theater near my house. I'm 10 years old. Gettysburg is four and a half hours long. But I just <laughs> kept going. And it's just a reenact, like a literal, like a reenactment of the Battle of Gettysburg painstakingly <laughs> made by Ted Turner. <laughs> like, how did I watch that that many times? But I would just go because I could just go three blocks away. And every single movie in 1993 had the Sleepless in Seattle trailer in front of it. So I saw this trailer so many times, and it was the first time I'd ever seen Tom Hanks. It was the first time I'd ever seen Meg Ryan. They were not in movies that I'd ever seen. Talk about making an impression. I thought Tom Hanks was like a fucking serious movie star because what's the other movie that comes out in 1993 that I'm also seeing a bunch of trailers for? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. So – I went through a huge portion of my life knowing who Tom Hanks was. Like, I guess not a huge, but, like, until I was in high school and started, like, watching Big and going back to some of the the comedies. And then everything he was in was serious. Like, I saw Apollo 13 in the theaters. I saw Saving Private Ryan. Like, I didn't figure out Tom Hanks was a comedy star for quite a long time. I thought he was, like, the big serious guy. Well, this movie is ostensibly a comedy. Ish. I would say, well, first of all, not from the trailers. It is definitely yeah. set up from a comedy. And while I think there's funny parts, I said this last week. And again, my perception may be colored by by uh, for so long seeing this as like a, a romance as opposed to like a romantic comedy from just my perception of it. But this this movie has funny moments. It seems a lot more serious 
than most 90s romantic com. I think it's a rom-com. Oh, yeah. It's just more of a... <clears throat> I think it's a rom-com. It's just less less boppy and less silly than, like, You've Got Mail, which has, like, a joke every 30 seconds. Like, it feels more in line with, like, as good as it gets. And mm. and those, those uh, essentially, like, softer dramas in, in scare quotes. Like, it's like When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a movie that they put very funny people in who are naturally very funny, even delivering, like, lines that would be just throwaway lines for most actors. And, and I think that you have to... I think you have to take it as like a comedy in a modern sense. Obviously, in like a Greek sense, it's obviously a comedy. But um, but in a modern sense, you have to take it as a comedy because otherwise, uh, all of the Meg Ryan stalking stuff would be incredibly tragic, and it leaves cast a large shadow on the ending. <laughs> so I was hold on. I was going to say this until we got into the the episode proper, but let's do it. Uh, Carrie will not be on for it. You've got mail episode, but. Let me just ask a question to the group. Do we think Meg Ryan stocking in this movie makes up for the catfishing that you, Tom Hanks, doesn't? You've got mail. Do you think that's even? Do you think across movie universes, those two balance out and they have, they have even the scales? Uh, Carrie, your answer first. <laughs> I, I don't think two wrongs make a right now. All right. I mean, it's not what I learned about double negatives, but Peter, you're, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> of course it makes up for it, because at the end, everyone's smiling and happy, and clearly when that happens, nothing abusive and weird has happened previously, right? It is kind of funny, Always. though, because Sleepless in <laughs> Seattle and You've Got Mail especially share such a conversation together, right? Like, Joe versus the Volcano, I think, for, like, cinephiles, people kind of reconcile, but, like, as, like, the part of the Meg Ryan Tom Hanks one, but I think... Even now, talking about doing this month with people I know and work with and stuff like that, my wife had never heard of Joe vs. the Volcano. A lot of people I've worked with have never heard of Joe vs. the Volcano. They think of like, you know, oh yeah, they did two movies together. So these are in the conversation so much and in the conversation so much nowadays is like how B- Hanks's behavior at the end of You've Got Mail is so disturbing from any sort of re- removal of the romantic comedy element – I never hear it. I forgot how much stalking is at the end of this movie. No one talks about it. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's a lot to process in like a modern context. So think, let me like, ask you this: Then is this misandry? It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is weird though that like people doing neurotic, often indicative of mental illness behavior um, in these old movies used to be like. She's just so funny. She doesn't know how to do this right at all. Or he's just so funny. He doesn't he he can't figure out how to navigate this love thing at all. Uh and like in a modern context, you're like, hey, you can date a lot of people. Just cut this one off. Like this is not you're not setting yourself up for success. I think in, in You've Got Mail, they would make a really good couple if in the last shot, uh a nuclear bomb dropped on Wall Street, and then they had to become like raiders in a post-capitalist environment. Uh, they would probably be great at that, but like in any environment where capitalism exists, I don't see them having much much success. In this environment, I feel like this would be like the modern version of like, oh yeah, she's she's really nice. My friends like her. She reads my texts and emails, uh, and I <laughs> she, mean, she accuses me of cheating on her all the time, like. I don't know which came first, but there are plenty of people that in real life that buy into those toxic behaviors in relationships, though. Yeah. So I don't know if it's that like Hollywood created 
these really toxic norms that then people fell into, or if Hollywood is just reflecting toxicity that already existed. But, like, I see how these tropes came to be. And it's funny because you watch something like Brooklyn, which is obviously a very different thing, but, like, Brooklyn fits in as, like, a rom-com for me in one sense. Brooklyn is, like, about a woman with two healthy options that aren't abusive, they're not cruel. Like, that's why it's so compelling because, like, both of them represent the two lives she had. She could, you know, she's at a, uh, a crossroads of her two lives. And, like, with this, it feels like... I just don't see a lot of success going forward. Is that overly cynical of me? Is I have a lot of doubts about their relationship. <laughs> it's bizarre how any movie where two people never meet or talk, essentially, besides a letter, like, could could get you this bought in. I would say, in the, and the writing I don't think is that good in this movie. I think one thing we'll talk about is how, how Hanks and Meg Ryan make up for it so well. And, like, for making you kind of miss how bad the some of the writing components are and how, like, you know, there's not much there even to – and I, some of the writing's really good. I guess what I should say is, like, they're declarations of, like, love and, like, when, when Tom Hanks is, like, pontificating about, like, a perfect relationship and stuff like that. It's really, like, basic stuff. It feels like something you'd find in a Hallmark card, not, like, these, like, amazing insights into uh, what a relationship is or how important it is that – that would make like you know everyone go holy cow like i've never heard someone describe love like that he's just like i just liked her a lot i thought about her she was amazing and everyone's like holy shit this guy loved his wife <laughs> um like it really is like that kind of basic level of like uh stuff and ever you know so i and i obviously it's, i don't think it's supposed to be that i think you're supposed to be uh to buy into it that way but you watch the end of this movie and it's so funny because we'll talk about it. like when I saw this in high school, I was just like a mess at the end of this movie and watching it now. I still like it. My, it is like, oh, how is this ever going to work? Like this, they just said, hey, yeah, you're at the Empire State Building. Good letter. You came to my house. Cool. I saw it at the airport. And thought you were hot. <laughs> well, let's come move to Seattle. then. <laughs> like it's like you've got mail, Peter. There's definitely some inappropriate toxic behavior that goes on in that, but they really do – like, they have chemistry throughout the movie. First, it's that, like, I kind of hate you, I kind of like you chemistry, and then, like, they develop a real friendship. Like, that's what's so weird about the Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks thing is, like, in the first movie they're together, there are three different characters. They don't have enough time to really develop that, that chemistry. This one, they're separated essentially for the whole movie. It's really only in You've Got Mail – that they get time to develop that. And it's – I think that's why you've got mail from a like feeling like the end is, oh, thank these, thank God these two got together is the best of them. Not the isn't best it, movie. Isn't it weird though that like it feels almost like Fifth Element where they're just like uh, the two people that really just need to get in a room with each other and figure this out. In that case, Gary Oldman and Bruce Willis. They, uh, they don't even see each other until like – I don't know, five minutes from the end and in Fifth Element it never happens. Um, but it's, well, it is interesting that you think about them as like having such great chemistry. But yeah. like they get no time to deploy that tool and which they, they do get in Joe vs. the Volcano. I'm I don't I don't know, Aaron. Maybe it's the perspective I've come in on this month. Like I don't I I found a lot of the dialogue very funny uh, and all that, but like yeah, I, I do agree with you though that like it's because they have a bunch of very, very funny people working on it, uh, not least of all Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. 
Yeah, and like one of the best supporting casts of the nineties. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Rob Reiner is has never been funnier than he is in this. Like, and it's it's amazing though. Like as a as an actor, I should say, Uh, it's amazing though because (laughs) you watch New Girl. (laughs) He is very he is very funny on New Girl, but I like I like him in this. He's just like a. He's like a little out of touch, but apparently has like a a wife or something. So like he can he feels like he can offer some advice, but like you kind of can tell in Rob Reiner's voice that like maybe you shouldn't follow that advice. Rosie O'Donnell is is super great in this movie, and it kind of reminds you of like the the great days before she was like a nine eleven truther. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> Rita which, Wilson is actually my favorite. Yeah, isn't it amazing. So she she was she'd been married to. Speaking of vests, so, so I want yeah. to. I want to yeah. park here. Park here real quick. Rita Wilson met Tom Hanks in 1981 uh, on Bosom Buddies, and then they were friends. Tom Hanks' marriage fell apart. The one that yielded at least Colin Hanks, maybe some more of their sons. I don't know. Um, maybe all the sons. Um, th- they didn't have like some bullshit rom com marriage. Like they they were friends for a long time, and then like he, he had a bad divorce, and then they were like, eh, maybe this could work. Like they had like a real human marriage, which is like assessing the difficulties of navigating the world, and like now they're known as like one of like the Hollywood like. Like these, this is what romance is. This is what love is. But yeah. they, but they also had like a weird, a weird start. They didn't have like some meet cute, and then they fell in love. Like they were both in serious relationships for years and years, and they were just buddies. And then they eventually like turned around and became like great partners. And they yeah. have, and they have really good on screen chemistry. Oh, they do, and you can tell they've been married. They've been married for a few years, maybe five years, I think. Um, yeah, they got married in nineteen eighty eight. So they've been married for for a bit, and um. It uh, it shows like the, the the moments where they get together. You're almost like, do we need her schlubby husband? Is he just there so we know that she's not sexually? Uh, Wait, uh, isn't her husband Victor Garber? Yeah, Victor Garber's yeah. great, but like in the movie, he's just sort of like, look, I'm maybe the dumb I husband because uh, the schlub is all occupied by one person. We'll talk about him in the episode. <laughs> like but all you know the, I mean. he's like he's a shl- like, he's like a schlub black hole that like you don't even notice other schlubs. It's not it's about true. it's not about the face or the body. The schlub can be no. a way of life. And in this yeah. movie, he's he's just schlub. He's a schlub star. You know. Um, I again, I think you're forgetting the schlub all star. We'll talk about it. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about, uh, we didn't really get a chance to talk about it in uh, Joe versus the volcano because Meg Ryan was uh, playing three different characters. But Carrie, Peter, and I were talking about it at text at one point in preparation for this month, which is talking about like Meg Ryan and how she like what her deal is in a positive way that she's so mm-hmm. hard to define as like she doesn't have clear analogies in like previous movie stars and i don't feel like there's a new one i i said to carrie and peter like tom hanks has some some obvious analogs right like it's you go back like the everyman hero it's the like a jimmy stewart right you know he can do comedy he can do drama he's attractive but not like necessarily in an obvious movie star way like he's an everyman and then Every other month, someone asks, who's the next Tom Hanks? And there are people that kind of fit that bill. Meg Ryan, I can't really think of a – she was a huge movie star for a long time. She should still be a huge movie star. That's a different discussion. But I can't think of anyone that was like the 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s Meg Ryan. And I can't think of anyone who's the 
2010s Meg Ryan either. Like, she feels almost wholly unique as this movie star and, like, her character that she's doing. And while I don't – I have trouble defining the persona, all I know is, like, what sums it up perfectly is there's a part in this movie where she is uh, driving and listening to, like, Jingle Bells. Yes. I was she, hoping that was what you were going to say. And she is enthusiastically singing not at the right time and the wrong lyrics. But there's some – and she's, like – moving her hands and and singing this stuff and it's not like she's even worried about the lyrics she doesn't care there is there's something that she gets joy out of from just belting out whatever lyrics that come to her head that are close to what the song is and whatever that is that's who Meg Ryan is as an is she is she waspy Jenny Slate (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, that's maybe a good call I was gonna say there's a few people that maybe I could think of but like none accomplished that sort of of ability Jenny Slate's a great one I, I think Emma Stone would have been that if she had done a couple more movies like Crazy Stupid Love um, oh and, yeah and if, she, and if she had I mean but like maybe if she had done more Zombielands or uh, Crazy Stupid Love or Easy A which are, um, I could say her Jenny Slate maybe if like Maybe in a few years, Jenny Slate will be it. Like, I think I could see her um, doing more movies, especially like, um, what's that movie? What's the, the uh, abortion comedy? Uh, well, <laughs> obvious well, Child. Well, there's obvi- Obvious Child, but I have you guys seen Landline? I have. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's really good. Yeah. So that one, I feel like, is, start- is her starting to get a little bit closer because she's like more together in that one. She's like the more mature version of her yeah. Obvious Child persona. And she's, like, getting closer to that kind of person, I think. And it's nice that, like, not everyone fits a specific trope. Yeah. That, like, some performers can just be themselves and you can just, like, hear their name and be like, okay, I have a, I have a sense of what this role will be. Yeah. Because they're, they're their own trope. They're their own brand. Exactly. And that I think that's so hard to do because there's a reason that people say stuff like the next Tom Hanks. It's because people are looking for the familiar in their movie stars like, you know, good looking square jaw or, uh, you know, flirty or exotic or like all these terms that they use kind of interchangeably so that, you know, you end up through the casting process a lot of times getting people that are like, oh, this is the julia roberts of nowadays this is the drew barrymore of nowadays it's the arnold schwarzenegger of nowadays like the tom hanks all that stuff that it can be harder for these like not necessarily truly unique actors to become you know star in movies i think there's a lot of those but to truly become like the big movie star that everyone including like your grandma who only watches like five minute clips on jay leno knows who they are I think Meg Ryan is unique in how big she was able to get without having like an obvious past version of herself. If that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, but yeah, let's let's get into it. Uh, let's talk about a little movie called Sleepless in Seattle. The Sleepy Boys. <laughs> We're the Sleepy Boys. Should we call? Our, should we rebrand for this one, Peter? The Sleepy Boys. I'm the Head Hurdy Boys this week. I think. Oh no. Okay, um, and I'll be the uh, overwhelmed at worky boys. <laughs> you must remember this. A kiss is still a kiss. 
A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by Aaron, you are alternate taglines. Feels like a pretty uncanny impression of me, Peter. I thank you for doing it in that exact tone I do it in. Uh, <laughs> but my alternate tagline is, let's get my dad laid. <laughs> <laughs> it is mostly a movie about the kid being like, I need a new mom and it can't be this cackling hyena woman. <laughs> It is. It is so funny though. Like he, well, this kid is very aware of what sex is, mm-hmm. and uh, he's very upfront with his dad that like you're very sad. It's bumming me out. Go have some sex. It'll make you feel better. Until he does that, and then it's like, but now I read this letter. Have sex with this other person, please. <laughs> uh, the first form of Tinder was a precocious eight year old. I swept left on this uh, letter. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's that's kind of weird. We'll talk about it. Uh, so Peter's going to do the alternate recap. Before we do, uh, we want Carrie to recap the first thirty minutes of the movie in from the perception of her husband, who watched the movie for the first time without necessarily a proper warning of what those first thirty minutes of of America's <laughs> Sweetheart romantic comedy were like. Oh God! So um. My husband and I lost a very close friend of ours a few months ago, um, extremely suddenly. And death has been a thing in media that's been a little bit tricky to navigate um, in the grieving process. So I had watched this movie. We'll get into this later. I mean, I'd watched this movie a bunch growing up, but had not seen it in many years. Did not remember what the opening scene of the movie is, what the opening line of the movie is. But I said to him, like, hey, you know... We're gonna, I have to watch this movie for the podcast. You wanna watch it with me? He's like, sure. So we put it on, and the opening line as Tom Hanks and his son are standing in the cemetery is Mommy got sick, and it happened just like that. And my husband stares at the TV and he's like, what the fuck? (laughs) <laughs> and i'm like yeah this like got a little bit darker than i i had remembered and then the first i want to say like the first like 15 not quite that long like but the whole like the whole opening but pre-credits is just this like grief city thing and then we get you know it's you know tom hanks and his son like deciding that they need to move across the country because mom died and we have to you know what's even the point of living in chicago anymore so now we're gonna live in seattle and then you know there's some stuff with meeting meg ryan but you know oh we're back to like sad grief time and it's a very intense opening and uh yeah it is and i had forgotten about it too uh, to the point that when uh, you messaged us and we're like, holy shit, the opening of this movie, I totally forgot. I was like almost excited to find out what it was because I'm like, well, yeah. what could be what could be this bad? And then obviously seeing the first line, well, mommy, mommy got sick in front of a grave. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, this is how this movie opens. And then, yeah, it talks about it just happens. Yeah. Some people die and. Nothing you could do. You just don't even think about it. Like, goes yeah. on for a while. His son's right next to him. It's pretty – it's not funny, but just the, 
abrupt nature and being set up for something made me laugh. Uh, and then I was like, holy shit. Wait a second. Does this movie? Because they're at the funeral home. Like, they're right after the funeral. They're having the, what do you call it after a funeral? Like, I get together? That's not right. I call it Shiva, but they're not doing Shiva. They're doing the... They're doing something. The Yeah, after the service, they're saying hi to each other, offering condolences, stuff like that. And And for a second, I'm like, holy shit. Does this movie take place right after the fucking funeral? <laughs> like, does he call into the radio station like the night after they bury his wife? And then that leads to Meg Ryan? Because that seems like even for 1993, it would have been hard for audiences much. to buy. But thankfully, yes, they moved to Seattle and they flash forward a year and a half. Um, I think we think of death as this really like mundane thing in movies, but... And, like, the fact that it could actually be, like, an upsetting thing for people to watch. Like, it's just not a thing that anyone is conscious of. Yeah. So, yeah, I I don't think they were thinking about, like, oh, yeah, people that, like, have associations with, you know, sudden loss or cancer or things like that. Or, like, parents dying or, you know, might not want the opening of this movie just thrust upon them. But here's my question. What purpose does it serve that couldn't be served by divorce or her moving to a foreign country? And I, I mean, I guess divorce. Yeah. What what purpose could it could it what? Well, like I don't I, think I, understand I don't think that, that like, works. Or... No, I don't think it works. I don't think it works under those circumstances because, like the whole yeah, the whole point is that he's really sad, but also like the way he quote unquote waxes poetic about the love that him and his ex wife had. Okay. Uh, like, I think that is important. I would question the decision to start at the fucking grave <laughs> yeah. describing what happened. There is no reason that they couldn't have started at the Seattle part. And as he's telling his story to the uh, Dr. Laura or whatever the fuck she's supposed to be, recap it. Because that's how we know a year and a half has passed. We know a bunch of other information. Like – I don't, I don't know what the point of showing the 10 minutes at the, the funeral and the funeral service had to do with anything. Other than There's... it introduces us, to, it introduces us to Rita Wilson, which could have, you know, been a more substantial thing later. And also, I don't know what people think about this. That phone call, way, way too short to become a sensation. Obviously, we live in an era where somebody calling into a radio show and talking about their dead wife would never be – like, we don't have monoculture like that. Like – I I apparently there's someone named Post Malone who's very popular. I don't know who he is. Um, we don't have it's, uh, it's Carl Malone. He was the postman. I think that's what you're thinking. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, I was I get confused. You know, us old timers get confused. Um, there's like no there's played for the Utah like, Jazz. There's like no monoculture anymore except for like Beyonce, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so like, and the idea that like a radio call in show in Seattle that maybe gets syndicated to some other cities would be this like national sensation and they'd be getting stacks of letters is like a little nuts. Uh, but, but I can swallow that because of rom-com magic. If the call was longer and I agree with you, if the movie had started with the call and had made yeah. it more substantial and made it like a whole thing, like yep. I think fucking Frasier on the TV show Frasier has people uh, on on the the call longer than they have him on? So, so I actually think yeah. the call goes on for a while. They mentioned they've been talking all night. I just don't think they show a lot of the call. 
Because uh, remember, they take a break, then they do questions. You don't hear most of the questions. I think she references at the end that they've been talking for an hour, even though I, I agree in general with your – it should have been longer. They should have done that for a recap. And then, like, you show Meg Ryan with – you know, you don't need much to realize that there's no passion in that relationship. And she gets into her car and, I, you know, not to Monday morning quarterback, but that's – I think it's a better – I think the 15-minute prologue, besides being just a weird tone to set your movie on, like, is completely superfluous. It throws off the weight of the movie to the balance because, like, when they introduce Meg Ryan, it feels really late into the movie. Yeah, and it's, there's this really intense moment where, like, he's at work and, you know, his coworker hands him some business cards for, like, grief counseling or something. And he just has this, like, kind of flip-out moment. And it's yeah. like, yeah, this is like a really real depiction of grief that I was not expecting to see in this movie. And it feels like it belongs in a different movie that's like about how you get yeah. over losing your wife, which is not what this movie is actually about in any well, way. it kind of is. <laughs> but they don't spend, that's the thing, though. They don't actually spend that much time meaningfully with the grief. No, I don't no. think. Yeah. Well, and I was actually relieved halfway through the movie where his son shows some sign of grief. Because I get that kids compartmentalize and handle things different than adults, and uh, and even in that, adults handle things differently. And there's but, no wrong way to grieve, and yada yada. Yeah, but there, it is like this nine or ten year old trying to get his dad laid because he misses his mom so much for a little yeah. bit there. And so, like that moment where she, he's like, "Hey, I, I really miss mom too," and like when he wakes up in the middle of the night, like I'm just glad they had that moment in there because. Again, no wrong way to grieve, but for the a depiction of a nine-year-old who lost his mom a year ago, it still is like almost like villain, villain. Uh, it's almost like uh, like callous to a point of villainy. Mm-hmm. Up until that point, expresses no no like feelings of loss for his mom, and if anything, is trying to replace. Uh, replace her, but not even in, like not even in a way that like makes sense. From like, I need a new mom because I, I, I. But like, literally, just my dad just needs to get some booty. It's all yeah. Well, it's all I'm worried about. My dad too. Like, my dad's yeah. really sad. My dad's not who he used to be. You know, and now yeah. dad is the only parent around, so he wants him to be fine, and yeah. that's the impetus for calling. Yeah, I, I, I think that part of it works and actually peter was i i don't think the length is an issue again i think the substance is because he just isn't saying anything that's there's not even like a killer line like a as good as it gets is a good example like that's not a great movie but people love it because there's that line where like you make me want to be a better person which is an eye-rolling line but like it works really well in that moment um that you that that's what people take away from the movie and you and like that's probably a movie that was in so many bad uh like valentines <laughs> to people <laughs> like love poems uh that people stole from because it's you know there it has it's a simple line that evokes a lot and in his like description of uh, of his wife it really is like we just were happy together and we we laughed and no one i wanted to spend more time with than her and and it's just it's 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 not lacking in like probably truth, but it's lacking, as I said, in that poll to get listeners going. Holy shit. I think the key line in that call is she made everything beautiful, which like just kind of it just kind of like is buried in there and it doesn't say a whole lot. It's kind of a like an it sounds like an empty platitude. Yeah. But, like I was I was 
talking about this movie with a coworker the other week and like she remembered that line from the movie. She was like, yeah, like that's the line that sticks out in people's mind. See that that line uh I believe it's in there because it feels about the level of uh sentiment that he's expressing. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, that I I don't even remember that line being in there. Like that stood out not at all to me. Yeah. But I I feel like that conversation is just so subtly charming in the in the small ways Tom Hanks like tries to stifle his his anger and like take this conversation somewhat seriously and you can see that he's very he's annoyed to be on the call but he's like, you know, what I'm not happy. Like maybe we we try this out. It's I'm not happy but and it's clearly showing in front of my son and it and it kind of communicates so much about his character that he's like, yeah. He's yeah. not it's not that he's stubborn or anything. It's that he's like, he just didn't even realize the thing that was in front of his face, which is like a really great sign of that he's he's still going through the morning. Like, he didn't realize that his son was worried about him. Yeah, um, and unlike sons in most movies, you know, his son may have been a little mad, but he didn't get even with dad at all. He got, <laughs> he, he oh, tried to get him help. He yeah. got help for dad. Yeah. You, you know, don't get even with dad. Get dad laid. That's what I always say. <laughs> get dad some. Get dad some help. <laughs> Tom, Tom Hanks has a great line delivery in that moment when they're. I think when they're on break to like take the calls from the listeners, where he leans over to his son and he's just like, "This is really helpful." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that is great. Yeah, uh, and that great like thing that people do with cordless phones, where they just like turn it away from them and like <laughs> put it against their shoulder. That's I, cordless phone acting is way better than uh, cell phone acting. Yeah, I want to bring it back. Although I was staying at a hotel room recently that had a cordless phone in the room, I forgot how to use it. I didn't know what button I had to press because there was two buttons, and I'm like, wait, I know there's a button, but there was nothing that said like power or something obvious, and it was call. I hit the call button for the <laughs> phone to turn on, and I'm like, "I did I forget how cordless phones, how phones happen? Isn't it, isn't it weird that in the interim, like where we lost landlines mostly, uh, that we lost cordless phones instead of losing actual like just phone phones? Like, yeah, hotels. Phones. Yeah, they. Because, yeah, I get that. You pick it up, you do the thing. Like, yeah, and also like you're in an office. They don't want. They don't want to deal with like having to replace batteries and all this shit or you're at you know an airport or whatever like they whatever travel location you might need to be in that your cell phone might be dead like they completely got rid of cordless phones and then i was in it was an airbnb last week and they had cordless phones sitting around i was like huh the fuck is that yeah that's like the equivalent of a rotary phone (laughs) (laughs) oh kitschy no someone loves the 90s we have to recap the movie yeah, so you want me to recap the movie? Yeah, finish uh, that up. You, you were at the call. The call ends. What happens? So the call is where Meg Ryan overhears uh, this. It's Christmas Eve. She overhears this, uh, this sad widower on the phone, and she falls in love with him. Kind of at love at first sight, like a, a play on that, where she just hears his, his troubles and how like romantic he sounds, and she's like, I want a piece of that. Because uh, she's in a loveless marriage to Bill Pullman. Or loveless no, engage- uh, engagement. engagement to Bill Pullman. Um, and it's sort of like just one of those relationships where they're like, it's not, I'm really glad they don't overplay their hand. Like, he's not abusive. He's not a dick. He's just kind of like, they're not clicking. Like, they don't. So, Peter, you've seen the Baxter, right? Yeah. He, if he is not the inspiration 
for Michael Showalter's character in the Baxter, I would be shocked. Yeah, because he's the sh- he's he is the super schlub of the movie. He, yeah, he's the super. He's the black hole schlub. <laughs> black hole <laughs> schlub. It's Won't weird seeing Bill come? Pullman like this because you usually don't see Bill Pullman in that kind of role. You usually see him no. as like uh, a yeah. stern jawed leader type. See, Carrie um, and I had this discussion. Yeah. Where I actually see him more as the schlub because I saw stuff like Casper first. No, I I only think of him as President Independence Day. So oh, I'm like, yeah. why is like Dreamboat President like the total schlub in this? See, I had the biggest crush on Christina Ricci when I was 12, and so I watched Casper over and over and over again, and that was pre-Independence Day. So Independence Day seemed like he was playing, like, oh, they got this lovely dad to be the president? All right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's, yeah, I'm I'm on Team Carey. I I see him more in that, like, sort of, like, uh, uh, official role or, like... Uh, hunky man of action kind of thing. Um, not as as uh, what he played. He played like he played like shaggy dog characters a lot. I don't know if he ever. Yeah, he's in it like less than uh, less than zero. Is that what it's called? Yeah, where he's, he's sort really of like this. He's kind of a raw edge kind of character. I think Hollywood can figure out what to do with it. Lost Highway. Of, yeah, yeah. They, they gave him a lot of spins on the table, but they couldn't really figure out what to do with him. Even though he has he has a lot of good roles, but. Eventually, it's sort of like Kevin Costner. They were like, we don't know where to put you, so we're going to put you nowhere. Uh, yeah. Lost Highway is just like, we don't even know what this is. Yeah. But it's him being himself. <laughs> Did we make him a star? I don't know. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, it's sort of like uh, ignoring all the present day stuff. It's sort of like Johnny Depp leading into the John Waters crew. Uh, to like get rid of his uh, his uh, you know shiny uh, boy band kind of fa- phase. It's sort of like Bill Pullman. Like he ended up doing a lot of like rough and tumble kind of movies. I think probably to scrub away some of the like uh, you know hunk, uh, handsome everyman dude. Anyway, so <clears throat> anyways, Meg Ryan is driving alone and on Christmas Eve she hears the call, falls in love with this guy. She tells her coworkers about him. Uh, she starts to try and investigate him using tools at work. Um, um, hold on, there's a name for it. It's very <laughs> important because I wrote it down because I was laughing so hard. No, I I just have like background check tool. Uh, fax interface. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. That's really good. It is like low key. Like, what do we put on the screen? I don't know. Fax interface. <laughs> yeah, I'm using the fax interface. It's a a fax that you can connect with on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> do you mean like any filing system within a computer? No, this is different. I like um, the idea that someone saw that part and was like, "Oh my god, I got an idea for another movie with these two. <laughs> 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 oh. This uh, honestly, the movie blah, but that scene—that's where the magic happens. That is where the—that is where the magic happens during the fax interface. You've got a fax interface, <laughs> and so she she goes out to visit him. It's sort of a movie that's split in two halves. Uh, she talks to her her best friend Rosie O'Donnell about him and her coworkers, yada yada. She actually goes out to try and find him. Uh, obviously, drifting apart from her fiance during this period, and uh, she uh, stop talking. And she has like an awkward thing where she like basically waves to him and says hi, and he waves back and says hi, and then she rushes back to the East Coast. Um, and then while this is all happening, he's dating. Well, because he's dating, yeah, because he's dating. He she sees him with someone else. Yes, he, while this is happening, well, he sees him with Rita Wilson, who's just a buddy. Um, oh yeah, 
But uh, he's dating uh, a woman who his son is not happy with. The son is oh, because he calls. Sorry, he calls with. in. What? That's how she knows about the other girl. He calls in and says uh, he's dating someone that I don't like. Yeah. Yeah. So he he is dating uh, these women um, connections mostly like from friends, uh, but he's also getting all these letters, particularly from Meg Ryan, saying like I'd love to meet you or whatever because of the radio show, which became viral in whatever whatever term viral would be in the late eighties. Uh, yeah, this, this whole movie would just be a Twitter thread nowadays. <laughs> yeah, um, and you'd see it, and then you'd favorite, and then it would get yeah. buried in your Twitter feed amongst all the other crazy human interest stories that you'd read that day. Um, and he and he's just kind of pursuing these relationships but he it doesn't really feel right and eventually the son is like fuck this i'm throwing a i'm throwing a hail mary pass on this one uh we'll meet at the top of the he sort of you know decides along with uh meg ryan like we'll meet at the top of the empire state building uh, on valentine's day to almost recreate the magic from um their uh, fair to remember so it's, it's no, it's not recreating. It's sort of like making that moment happen. It's an homage to, yeah, yeah, yeah. We should mention that they, uh, the kid in another, the nineties were crazy pre nine eleven. Uh, the kid uh, uh, goes to the airport himself and sneaks on a plane. No, yeah. he has a ticket. Oh, that's right. He yeah, because yeah. his and, best um, friend is the daughter, Ga- little little oh, Gabby, Hoffman. Gabby Hoffman. Little Gabby is, Hoffman, yeah. yeah. Little Gabby Hoffman is the daughter of travel agents, and when her mom is like, "Oh, I have to go run out for an errand. Can you like watch the front for me?" She uses that as her opportunity to book him a ticket, which is awesome. Yeah, Gabby Hoffman rules in this movie. I and love they should have made a they should have made a spinoff movie just featuring her character for children. I love that my three favorite performances in this movie, which are Rita Wilson, Rosie O'Donnell, and Gabby Hoffman, like a couple years later, all reunited for Now and Then, then, which was my other childhood movie. Well, guess what? Guess why I watched that movie? (laughs) (laughs) Christina Ricci. (laughs) Christina Ricci was it. Uh, I also watched Gold Diggers, The Legend of Bear Mountain. (laughs) (laughs) Did you watch? I saw it in uh, theaters three times. Not a good movie. But I really like hope my you didn't fr- watch Buffalo '66 or whatever as a twelve-year-old. Uh, no, uh, I think that came out a little later. <laughs> I still haven't seen Buffalo '66, but because um, my first crush was Anna Klumski from My Girl. Oh yeah, like when I was like six or seven, and I saw that. Uh, that was also my most, uh, my hardest attempt to hide crying from my dad because i had never cried that hard my entire life and it was just, <laughs> like like for it's like sadness sad. movies not for like fighting so uh so yeah so my my six-year-old crush my 12-year-old crush they go find the legend of gold in the bear mountain that was a but terrible movie anyways um, um how did you feel when uh anna klumski ended up in like hannibal and veep and shit <laughs> Uh, yeah, she's very funny. I mean, I don't, I don't have crushes on many actresses anymore. Because I'm <laughs> but not it's just like, funny that I'm not like, twelve. But childhood crushes, yeah. like, grow up and then just be like, be like, oh wait, you still got it. Like you're still yeah. a super charismatic yeah, actor. You're still funny. Like, hold on, I do want to pause on one thing. You mentioned some of your favorite characters, Carrie. We haven't talked about the best side character, and it comes up a lot in this section. And I think we need to give that side character his credit. He or she is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Character in the movie, and that's Wall Map. <laughs> Anytime Tom Hanks needs to let his kid know where something is in relation to other things, Wall Map is there. 
to tell you the tale. Like, did you most- gender wall map as male? No, I said he or she. Oh, here. Oh, you did say. Okay, yeah, yeah. Or they? No, I'm. I'm sorry. I, oh, they. Yeah. Yeah. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> wall map. I shouldn't have assumed that there, there's more than two genders in that. Yeah, that was, it, it was honestly passed away in 1992, so it's really hard to ask them how they would feel about this situation. Uh, yeah. Well, I didn't want to say it. That felt insensitive for one of my favorite characters, but they was right. Uh, <laughs> no, they're a really yeah. good character. I see. I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they help his kid know where things are. And I'm sure there was a point where Walmap was like, I don't know if I need to be in this movie. Like, you know, he could probably just tell his son where things are. And the director's like, no. Right on the fucking wall, <laughs> but not in a way that he can point every time he needs to pull you down dramatically. Wall map. We we need you to just explode onto the scene and explain yeah. basic geography to the children in the audience. It is weird though. Like I understand why teachers have those kind of maps because you need to save space. Why doesn't he just have a map if he if, if he's pointing at maps anytime questions come up about basically anything? Just get a map. You don't need to pull it down every time. It's more dramatic that way. I know, but like they do it three times. He wants the map to have a dramatic entrance. I also feel like it's very fitting with the with the like very ridiculous computer graphics they have of like the planes going back and forth. Yeah. That they show a few times. Yeah. Oh. Oh yeah, and then the, the 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 graphic they end the movie on is so ugly. It's really oh, ugly. Yeah. It's really yeah. bad. Uh, yeah. What's the end of the movie, Peter? They uh, kiss? they, uh, they the, Tom Hanks is like, well, I should probably go get my son. He runs away to New York and uh, ends up on the top of the Empire State Building, and then through some some uh, juggling, uh, they end up uh, meeting. Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks end up meeting, and they they have like a very like love at first sight so to speak moment where like you can tell everything's gonna work out and they're gonna be great and they get on the elevator together and that is where you see the end of their relationship uh, that is yep. well not the end that is the end of us seeing their relationship one can presume their relationship goes on for a while longer um, uh, but yeah yeah all right well final thoughts <laughs> um no uh yeah no i saw this when i was uh, in high school i really liked it i i had seen you got mail first but I think I said to Carrie, like, I remember watching this uh, with high school friends when we were like, we'd pick a rom-com or pick a horror movie. And I remember this movie really affecting me. And I haven't seen it since then. Just because it just it, – it's not like a You've Got Mail or Joe vs. the Volcano where I feel like I can put it in any time because it doesn't feel like a light comedy to me. It felt I – didn't, I didn't remember the death component or the trauma component, but I remember it was a lot more like – pining like a true like romance over like a romantic comedy but i i remember the ending just hit me so hard it was like thank god these two got together they needed each other and it was weird watching it this time where i didn't feel any of that really like tom hanks is really good meg ryan's really good it's a pleasant watch but you're right peter i think you said it like at the end it's like oh well this isn't gonna work they make a little they make a little thing where um but Tom Hanks says, we'd better go. And then uh, there's like a pause. Yeah, that's a great line. And then he extends his hand and he says, shall we? Like hold yeah. hands for the thing. 
And like that kind of, I like those little moments because it does recognize how weird the situation is. But yeah. like when they get on the elevator, it's it's like when you realize at the end of the graduate that they both look terrified after yeah. the smiles fade away. <laughs> yeah, but that's a great see, touch. The graduate point. is like yeah. a sixteen year old. You're like, isn't that great? They just like fucking threw it all in the fire and just ran away. That's that's, good. that's awesome. And then you watch it as an adult, and you're like they're not actually happy at the end of this thing. They just realized they just like threw their whole life in shambles for someone they barely know. This is a sweeter version of that. Obviously that was like an intended goal of the graduate. It was not the intended goal of, of sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. Carrie, you, you mentioned that you had watched this quite a bit uh, in high school. I want, I, you know, I don't remember how old I was the first time I watched it, but I remember I, I definitely watched it before high school. And I watched it a lot when I was pretty young, like like late elementary, early middle school or something like that. Um, and I think I now know why. Because when we were when uh when we were started talking about this month, I was like, you know, I know I watched that movie a lot, and I don't remember why I would have been that drawn to a romantic comedy or romantic drama film at that age, but this is a children's empowerment movie. Yeah, like the kids have all of the power in this movie, so I can <laughs> totally the, like, see. In that sense. I can totally see it, like ten years old, me watching this and being like, "Hell yeah!" Like this is a this is a movie where like people get to like make decisions and and yeah. take control over the situation. That makes so much sense because I didn't watch it until I was in high school, so like that part of it totally flew by me. But you're right. Like, even just the way the son is, like, able to watch what movies he wants. And when he talks about sex, like, the dad's not like, where'd you hear about? You're in so much trouble. Like, it's just like, yeah. oh, really? You know that. Well, all right. Uh, I gotta watch closer to what cable movies you're watching. Ha ha ha. Like, I, I totally would have been like, yeah, that's the kind of dad-son relationship I want where he seems to like me more. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the son literally drives all of the action in the movie, and when he needs help, he enlists Gabby Hoffman to, you know, hack into the computer system and buy plane tickets for him. Back, and like, yeah, like, the, the son does everything. Yeah. And I still kind of think that's cool, even if, like, as an adult watching it, I'm like, none of this makes any sense from an adult standpoint, because what parent is so tuned out that, like, they let their kid dictate their love life? But, yeah, yeah I still find it charming. Yeah, it feels movie contrivancy, though. Like, we need a sassy kid who's yeah. leading the action. That part doesn't really work. And then there's also the kind of, like, part that takes on the creepy moment where... Like, he's corresponding with Meg Ryan, and Meg Ryan's like, okay, and Rosie O'Donnell, it's a very funny scene. <laughs> yeah. But Maybe he's just like, a bad right. writer. Yeah, so he's an idiot on paper, but you hear those words? That's so good. <laughs> um, but it is like the kid that's corresponding with Meg Ryan as his dad, which a little bit of a weird element. Yeah. And, and the fact that she reads a 10-year-old's, like, love letter and is like... <laughs> Well, I guess he's just really stupid, but I'm still going to go fly out and see him, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he doesn't say anything bad in it. It's just very simple. He's like, you seem neat. Yeah. It's like what a a kid would say. Like, none of it's bad. Some red flag should have went off. But I guess she is dating slub Bill Pullman. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Can we talk about how there's two cast members of uh, Frasier? On this movie, yeah, it was weird because our I was uh, 
I was like, we're watching Frasier through right now. This is oh, uh, such a many- great. Like, just pleasant watch. That is the You Got Mail of TV shows. Oh, yeah. It's just like, yeah. you know, we're just floating along. We're having a great time. Um, it's a great nap show, too. You can, like, fall oh, asleep yeah. for a couple episodes and wake up and be like, oh, yeah, I guess I was watching Frasier. No one needs to uh, rewind Frasier because they missed something. Yeah, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Unless it's a to-be-continued episode, which happens, like, four times. Um, and uh, so Niles is in it. Totally underutilized. He's in like one scene or two scenes, I guess. He's in two scenes, yeah. Yep. Um, and then who else is the other Fraser person? Kenny. <gasps> yes. Yes. This is our second, uh, our second movie with that actor because he played Jerry on heavyweight in Heavyweights. Yes, he did. Who is uh, this? Can- Which one was this? Um, I don't. I don't know what his name in this movie is. He works with uh, Meg Ryan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah. The uh, the Niles. The fact that Niles is in this movie though does have my favorite. Uh, IMDb trivia about it, which we don't normally do, but it was so funny. David Hyde Pierce expresses psychological opinions to Meg Ryan about relationships, and in the course of discussion, remarks about Seattle's rainy weather. David is later cast playing a psychologist <laughs> brother on Frasier. He expresses psychological opinions to Meg Ryan, and later, that interestingly a, enough, was cast a as a psychologist. Fact. Yeah. Fun fact. I'm having fun. The thing that blew me away about this, uh, because the whole reason that we did this month, the frame-up was Joe versus the Volcano, not a big hit. But of course, someone sees that Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks chemistry, we got to put them in another movie together. No. Uh, Meg Ryan only got the part after like a ton of people turned it down, including Julia Roberts, Kim Basinger, Michelle Pfeiffer, Jennifer Jason Lee and Jodie Foster. Wow. And they finally think, settled on Meg Ryan. I think that Julia Roberts wouldn't be good. I think that I like Julia Roberts, but I don't think she'd be good in that. I think I think uh Michelle Pfeiffer could have done it. Having seen Joe versus the Volcano, you like assume that this that was like the start of something, but it wasn't. Like Meg Ryan was not like she was the seventh choice for this. Um and then obviously you've got Mail is trying to recapture the Sleepless in Seattle success. Both directed by Nora Ephron. Correct. Is there a first no Nora one... Ephron movie and probably this... this month will be our only time we do Nora Ephron movies because, uh... Well, uh, I mean, stuff that she wrote. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean directed. Um, okay. I, 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 a lot of her, the movies she directed were not that good. Like Michael and Mixed Nuts are like two of the worst movies I've ever seen. I think yeah. it's a really great way to transition into this movie's sort of failings on gender grounds and yeah. how how they kind of illuminate our more modern perspectives uh, on on how gender stuff works. Because like I, I don't think anything in here is like outright offensive, but it's it does feel very like outdated. Like like how every woman in the movie turns to a puddle when they talk about rom coms or talk sincerely about love, and every man's just like. Basically, making the jerk off sign whenever that happens. Um, yeah, that dirty doesn't. That dirty doesn't scene sucks. Yeah, well, that's part of the reason that I described uh, 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 Rita Wilson's uh, movie husband, not real husband, as a schlubby because in the scene he's just like this, like. I'm a man. Men, men don't have feelings. That's for the women folk. Um, yeah, but Tom Hanks. I love Rita too. Wilson in that scene, though. Yeah, I think so Rita really Wilson in that scene is like some of the best acting in the movie. 
I where think, she's I think just, Rosie kind of reduces that 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 thing to just like women cry, it's funny. But Rita Wilson like turns it into this whole thing explaining why it's so important, and it, I, I love her in it. Yeah, yeah she's, she's good great. because she's like expressing exasperation, like no guys, this is like a really good movie. It's just the movie itself seems to be like. Man, women like different movies. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, this is something in our in the group that we're all in. I feel like this is something that we actually see a lot where women try to talk about movies that are really important to them. And like, it doesn't always get the same attention as like when men talk about, you know, the things that they're into. And I feel like that's that's kind of what this is reflecting. I don't yeah. like that. It's so like men are like this and women are like this and it's like so fixed in this movie but it is now that i'm thinking about it, it is kind of commenting on a thing that you know is very real yeah and the fact that like men do have trouble expressing their feelings is like one of the many terrible outputs of patriarchy because yeah. men are supposed to be these like strong uh, cold distant kind of figures to like so they can maintain their their in scare quotes power um and uh the men can keep a distance from those like real feelings and repress them like gives them a weird social strength and uh i think that scene highlights the problem it doesn't have a solution to the problem like she doesn't make fun of them for being repressed or whatever but like it does highlight that problem really really well how men just like run screaming away from particularly like straight white men run screaming away from feelings like that well yeah. and there's it's kind of it's kind of implying too that like by the dirty dozen like that the thing that's emotionally uh, affecting is like <laughs> what happens when Lee Marvin runs out of bullets isn't that and that's something that touched you deeply like that's <laughs> that's the version that's like relatable to to the men in the audience the 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 movie I haven't seen if I to remember um but it is interesting how this movie leans into this like love of classic Hollywood stuff and how it does affect um, how people view romance sometimes. Cynics and true believers both end up being influenced by rom-coms. Like, uh, and the fact that Tom Hanks is like viewing this whole thing from this like perspective that's more influenced by like fatal attraction than it is from you know like pure classic hollywood stuff is super interesting he's like the fact i like the fact that they reference some of the creepiness here but mm -hmm. like i think they needed a little bit more meat to justify on either the beginning end why she's in love with him or on the end um the the anxieties and the, the destabilization that uh would come from like well, now we're both in a very intense relationship where you have a bunch of weird ideas rattling around your head about what I am uh, before we even meet. Yeah, because that's the that's the part that's easy to forget. Like Tom Hanks doesn't know anything about Meg Ryan. Even even the like he remembers the letter, but even the little bit of correspondence and stuff like that. Just she's just someone that he saw at an airport and then across the street. She knows a lot what he's like, or at least a, a version of him. But it's definitely not reciprocal. Yeah. They're they're banking really hard on the love at first sight thing because yep. for him that's what it is. But the power dynamic of her like actually knowing things about him kind of makes yeah. it kind of invalidates that. But again, um, I think makes it even overall with you've got me. And, and uh -huh. also, uh, <laughs> let's not let's not beat around the bush. Love at first sight is just really a uh, fancy lust. 
Yes. And I don't say that as a way to knock love at first sight, because lust is a great way to start a relationship. But, um... I mean, you need lust Fancy, in a fancy relationship. lust is the best kind of lust. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Where's a three-piece suit? <laughs> it does. Which I know what all the pieces are, no matter what else you've heard. Rumor mill. <laughs> Rumor mill. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the, the lust thing is, like, uh, they want to make their, uh, the fact that they're horny respectable. And so movies like this and, you know, uh, more traditional sort of more um, sterilized versions of romance would be like, be like, no, it was just love at first sight. We just knew it made sense. It's like, bullshit. You don't know anything about anybody from the first time you meet them. Do you know how many times I've been disappointed on a first date where I'm like, this person's going to be amazing. And then you get to the first date and you're like, this person's terrifying. Here's the one thing I'll say about Love at First Sight. Pretty good Kylie Minogue song. Mm. <laughs> not not her best, not her worst. It's pretty no, good. No, it's probably like pretty it Pretty good. It's got, it's got a good beat, yeah. I have. Uh, I think we kind of have to actually move on to, to, to moments because uh, we've been – even though it's been a weird scattershot version, we've been talking about a lot of uh, the movie for almost the whole podcast. But uh, I have two quick moments and one long one, and then we'll, we'll I'll turn it over to you guys. Uh, first, I I actually thought because of this movie, not because of this movie, but because of movies like this, that like part of getting married was a part where you had cold feet. Because oh yeah, every everything ever specifically to, to inspire drama that's why i was watching these like jesse consopolis on full house like he got cold feet and he had to go jump out of an airplane i legitimately thought for probably longer that is uh longer that's not embarrassing that yeah at some point when you get married you have that cold feet moment like like you're like everyone has a midlife crisis that's the other thing that i thought was real yeah so hopefully, Peter, it's not it, – I am right and it's just a movie thing, not that you're going to freak out and, like, fly to Chicago and hide in an alley <laughs> or something. There's alleys in Chicago, right? I got that yeah. out Yeah. New York doesn't have alleys generally. Chicago does have alleys. Um, Perfect. Despite what you've seen <laughs> on uh, mainstream media, New York doesn't Oof. have a lot of alleys, okay? Not that many. Yeah, Some. that's why the trash is all in the street. Um, yeah, you got to put homes in there. There's not, put there's not much there. room. Boston uh, the, has them. The the little uh, the other little thing is that I I do like that Tom Hanks on a date is like, yeah, what do you want to drink? And he orders a glass of Absolute straight up. <laughs> uh, he orders a glass of vodka, like with He's, nothing else in it. I think if any of us went on a date with someone who's like, yeah, just a just a glass of vodka, please. Thank you. <laughs> Be like, what's wrong with this guy? A lot of warning signs very quickly there for the Tom Hanks date. Oh, he lost his wife when he's drinking a glass of vodka. <laughs> Maybe going through some stuff still. Uh, and then my my bigger thing I want to talk about a little is Bill Pullman. Uh, and I'm just going to say I think they have the most pleasant breakup of almost any movie ever. Because even Bill Pullman's like, I, I know I suck. Oh, like, yeah, the scene where he's like, I don't want to be the person you uh, settled for. And then she's like, I don't deserve you. And he's just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you're yeah. way better than me. I'm the worst. Give me a little hug. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's that he knows he sucks. I think it's just that, like, he gets that there is not the connection there that they wanted to have. And it's just a very mature way of ending things. And it's it's kind of refreshing to see because it is possible to have mature breakups. But that's yeah. not a model we ever talk about. No, that's a really good point. A better point than my jokey one. 
Um, I'm sorry. Because it is true. No, no, it's it's 100% true. I, that's one thing I really do like about it. Like, so many of these, like, in a relationship but finds her true love or his true love type movie contains that other third wheel as an eventual villain. Like, a schemer. The partner of that person needs to, like, see the light that, oh, not only am I actually in love with this other person – uh, this guy I'm with is a dick, like Bradley Cooper in fucking Wedding Crashers or some shit, right? Yeah. Um, and so just the idea that, like, he doesn't really know Tom Hanks. He's definitely not trying to keep them apart and, like, maintain a fake relationship built on control. It is just a, yeah, we've clearly drifted apart. Time to end it. It might even kind of be foreshadowing in a way because we don't see how – Bill Pullman and Meg Ryan get together. We hear a story about them ordering the same sandwich or something, but like we don't see what that moment was to them. And it feels sort of like we meet the two of those characters, you know, a year after their romantic comedy ended. Yeah, that's a good point. And so it's kind of the cycle of the romantic comedies where like, you know, there could be these very nice people who get together and have an enjoyable relationship, but, like, not all relationships last forever. I am not the biggest fan of Dan Savage, but he, I think in one of his books, he wrote that it's really fucked up that we think of a successful marriage as ending in death. Yeah. That, like, or a successful relationship, even, as ending in death. That, like, there is no other form of success that we have um, if if your relationship ends in any other way. And I think that's a really good point. And I like that this movie um, shows that it's possible to, you know, have a have a good experience with someone. You can both be decent people. And then it's just, you know, it hits its expiration date. And that's yeah. probably what's going to happen with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, too. Yeah, and, and you're right, because when Meg Ryan ordered the same sandwich as Bill Pullman... Uh, probably butter and toast, if that's what Bill Pullman in this movie is ordering. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if she's like, holy cow, this is destiny. And that's kind of what she says. Yeah. There's probably a – like, that's a meat cute. That's – you're right. That's its whole other movie that, that we we stepped into after it was over and the excitement of the romantic comedy aura dissip- dissipates. Yeah, exactly. Um, I also think that's a great point about the relationship stuff. Um, I haven't heard Dan Savage say that. I've definitely heard other people say that, and I agree because uh, it's the only – it's even the only type of relationship we think of like forever or nothing. Uh, one's a success. One's a failure. Like like I don't think back to friendships I had in college and high school that we moved and like grew apart and don't keep in touch as like unsuccessful friendships. You call no. them your high school friends or your college friends or your elementary school friends. Like there's almost a recognition that those aren't supposed to uh, continue forever except for people that you still have something in common with. But no one goes, yeah, I had a lot of failed friendships till, till I started hanging out with you. And I think it's also kind of taboo to talk about like – the good things that you got out of a past relationship because you're not supposed to in our in our you know extremely heteronormative monogamous culture you're not supposed to be like thinking about former loves or anything like that so i think even to say you know yeah this relationship wasn't right but it was good for xyz reasons i learned about this and that like that has value and it's worth acknowledging that but we're uncomfortable doing that so it doesn't come up as much it's almost like 
And when you're talking about a big adventure film, you're like, oh, and then at the end, like, I don't know, at the end of The Lord of the Rings, they just kind of threw the ring in the fucking mountain. I remember Kevin Smith had this whole bit about it. And he's like, oh, it's just about people walking to a place and th- putting a thing in a thing. And I'm like, the, but the, you don't understand. How are you an adult man who writes stories and doesn't understand that, like, the journey is as much part of the story as the end is? Like, yeah. um, we're not just killing time until we get to the last scene. I think people don't see that necessarily with rom-coms, especially, like, I think people give them short shrift in terms of the fact that they are stories. They're just stories not usually based on big dramatic events. They're usually, like, small little dramatic moments or small comedic moments that push the plot forward. And, like, the fact that nothing, like, earth-shattering happens – in this, I guess, there's an earth-shattering thing and then everything else is just kind of, like (laughs) – you know, incident. But uh, the fact that earth-shattering things don't typically happen in rom-coms, I think, pe- makes people forget that they are telling a story. It's just char- very character-driven, and it's usually, it's not very often, uh, with the inclusion of women uh, behind the camera, um, or it's t- stories targeting women. Um, and so, I think people tend to discount the stories being told in rom-coms for those reasons. Oh, 100%. Uh, what about you guys? Any uh, any uh, other moments we didn't touch on uh, that we want to make sure we get some discussion in on? Uh, Aaron, how'd you feel with the line that Bill Pullman says where he's like, Duluth, that's in North Dakota, right? Uh, well, I know where Duluth is. I've been there. Yeah, I've been um, there too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say Bill Pullman is wrong, and <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't break up right there. I couldn't tell if they were making fun of like – uh, you, you know, coasters who like don't know what the fuck. I mean, the we can ask like. one. <laughs> we can ask one right here, Peter. Karen? Yeah. Karen, yes. Where is Duluth? Did you know that that was a joke? Uh, it is North Dakota, right? No, it's Minnesota. No. Oh, it's Minnesota. <laughs> it's like right. It's like uh, it's essentially like it's it's near Lake Superior. It's like in the far oh, north side of the state. I'm very bad at geography. I'm sorry. Uh, I only know it because I've been there, and because of Maria Bamford is from there. Oh yes, I should have remembered that. That's the only reason I know the yeah. The, no, I very it. much, I very much think just like oh yeah, the middle. Yeah, which is not good. So, so I, I guess fix I'm- that. <laughs> No, it's fine. A lot of it is just the middle. Uh, but I am now curious who that joke is for. <laughs> because because you live in Chicago and wouldn't have known unless you visited. Uh, small cities in North Dakota and Minnesota, I don't even know all of them. Like, Duluth is like 20,000 people. And, like, no one knows cities in North Dakota uh, unless you live there. So, yeah, I don't know what that is, Peter. I don't even know if that's a purposeful joke. I don't who know if it's purposeful. Knows. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who it's. Targeting. I don't know what that's supposed no. to be. It's not. It's not like a. I'm using this in quotes. An important town, right? Like no, it was a tourist. No, not town, at all. Right? Yeah, it's on. Uh, it's on Lake Superior, so that's about it. But it is like twenty thousand people. People go there in the summer. That's when I went there. But like. It's definitely not something that someone would go, look out what an idiot this is. He thought Duluth was in North Dakota. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's so, so I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure who it's supposed to be for. You know, unless Nora Ephron uh, grew up in Duluth, too, and was like, people keep thinking it's in North Dakota and that sucks. Uh, yeah. 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 That was just a weird line that stood out as you are a Minnesotan from North Dakota. Right? And that was a line oh. that I, I technically I like, from Portland. Remember, I really try to underline that part. <laughs> 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 Only lived there a couple of years and then Montana for five. But 
let's let's stick with that. That's better. Okay. That's that's your story. I'm not going to take it away from you. Um, Carrie, you. do you have any final uh, final thoughts, final moments? Uh, I have a couple quick ones. Um, so we've been talking a bit about like the the whole thing with talking about Tom Hanks's dead wife, and like we don't really know much about them because it's all platitudes. And then there's that one weird scene where he's visited by her ghost. <laughs> I thought that's you, where you're gonna go. How with do this, you feel yeah. about that scene? I think it should have either been all ghost or no ghost. That's my. It either should have been a movie where he's haunted um, <laughs> by his dead wife while trying to forge a relationship with Meg Ryan across the country. Where exactly? I can show you on map mm-hmm. uh, on our on our wall map. <laughs> on wall map. Who's also a ghost in this version? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is weird. If I'm being extremely cynical, it feels like the inclusion is almost to, like, be like, just to let you know, this is what his wife looked like. So <laughs> It is like, kind of like that, yeah. That's what I feel like it, it is. I think the more effective version of that comes earlier when, like, I think it's during the grief montage in the beginning where, like, there's this, like, quickie flashback to... The, the family of three, like, walking to a baseball stadium. Yeah. And, yeah, like, she's smiling. And that feels like the more effective version of getting that across. Agree 100%. Yeah, the ghost scene is weird. It's very weird. Yeah. Peter, where are yeah, you on ghost scene? And also, it threw me off, too. I felt like, I mean, like, on a, you know, on paper, I would like something like this because it, like, is is uh giving... It's justifying her death in a way, like it's uh, it's making her more than just like a fridged woman that kicks off the plot. Um, but mm-hmm. in execution, it's just like so schmaltzy, and like I don't think that I, I it would be I would much rather prefer more time with Tom Hanks talking about why he loved his wife because like ultimately it doesn't matter what she was actually like it matters how he remembers her and yeah. the ga- and the gaps yeah. that the gaps that she left behind that he needs to fill in some sense. Yeah. This is a joke for true. one person but uh I guess the person who saw that scene and liked it created the TV show Go On. She's <laughs> um, <laughs> a one season show on NBC with Matthew Perry oh, yeah. where his wife dies and it's like a big like she is essentially a character on the show at, by like episode eight where she is showing up his her ghost or her memory is showing up to give him advice on what to do with his life. Oh, weird. Also, he works at he works at a radio station. So <laughs> uh, maybe someone did see this movie. and was like, I got it. <laughs> so it was like, you know, you know, the movie is really needed to be more about ghosts. Really need yeah. more more spook em ups, I think. Oh, why are you meeting Meg Ryan? Where's the ghost talking to her? <laughs> <laughs> more ghosts! <laughs> Advice giving dead wife ghosts. I love it. Oh we need uh, that. Yeah. The the other the other the other two like moments that I feel like are just understatedly funny in this movie are um first of all the first scene that we get with Meg Ryan and Bill Pullman is this family dinner. Um, <laughs> yeah, we never see the family again. Um, uh, David Hyde Pierce shows up quickly one more time, but we never see the family again. And I'm really disappointed because the whole conversation about Harold being allergic to bees oh, and Francis yeah. Conroy's amazing delivery. Francis Conroy's cameo in this movie is so solid. 
Yeah. And she's just it, like, Harold is always allergic to bees. And the way that he repeats that information like two or three times yeah. is so great because it's like, uh, that is exactly what it's like to be at these like weird family get togethers. And you're just like, this is the information that I can provide <laughs> to contribute to this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is all yeah. I'm willing to to empathize with you on. This is all I'm able to do. <laughs> like I, this this is what I've got for you. They're talking yeah, about observed, having. Right? They're talking about having the wedding outdoors in the summertime, and they're like, "What about Harold and the bees?" <laughs> yeah, and it's like a type of comedy, especially as he keeps repeating it. That is almost incongruent with the rest of the comedy in the yeah. movie. It, it leans more towards. Uh, like absurdism where he just everyone just stares at him as he describes more and more and then they have the conversation about who's allergic to salmon and he's like but the bees for me Uh, it's great you're right and then the other the other part is um i just i i really like the parody of the call-in radio that they do in this movie and like the best moment of that is there's one part where um i think it's meg ryan listening to you know the 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 advertisement for the Dr. Marsha Fieldstone show or whatever, and they're playing like sample clips from all of these calls, and yeah. and there's one called "Disappointed in Denver," and it's something <laughs> that's like you know like oh my husband like always just like really needs to like eat a sandwich after we have sex, and the advice she has is why don't you make him a sandwich beforehand? <laughs> I just think that's like so bizarrely perfect. Oh my yeah. god, yeah. It's exactly what a Dr. Laura type of person would say. And it's it's so pat and it's so disregarding the other issues, but like yeah. what the fuck is, what the fuck are these people supposed to do like offering like sage advice on the air and that's like their job? Like Yeah. Uh, do we have any more final thoughts? Uh I don't think we've done final thoughts. Do we have any other scenes? Do you have any more final scenes thoughts? Fin- final Those are, final those are all scenes. mine. Um, yeah, well, I'll give my final thought, Crimes. Um, <laughs> this movie is fine. Uh, I I remembered, uh, I, I haven't seen it since high school, I remembered it being not on par with the pure masterpiece edging that Joe vs. the Volcano does, or just as uh, breezy and uh, enjoyable to watch for the chemistry as you've got male. I remember this being the serious one and the one where like the romance washes over you at the end with this uh, rush of feeling of two people destined to be together uh, end up together and watching it now is like they're very charming people. Uh, the movie now just seems somewhat concerning to me in a lot of different ways. Uh, again, great supporting cast. It's, it's, it is a pleasant watch. It is not, uh, minus the content warning at the beginning. Uh, you know, it's, it finds its groove. It has enjoyable moments. I'm not surprised this was a big hit and kind of solidified, uh, Tom Hanks as a less of a goofy actor and more of a kind of a, uh, leading man type person uh, in in more dramatic roles, along with Philadelphia, of course, uh, and solidified like Meg Ryan as America's sweetheart. It makes sense. It just it doesn't it just doesn't hold up in a way that that I think some of the other movies from that time do. Yeah, I'm gonna run with that. I think that the I think that the uh, and you had never seen this before, right? This is the first time viewing for me and. I was kind of disappointed that it didn't like totally melt my heart and make me into a puddle. 
Because, like, I was very ready for that. I was, like, very receptive. I was in a great mood for, like, this sort of, like, love stuff. There's just, like, a lot that distracts from how charming our leads are and how much the supporting cast is. That being said, I laughed a lot. Um, I think the script is mostly functional, though it's it's clunky at times to get to the point they want to say. And, like, it was a few punch-ups away from being really great. But, like... Um, it's a classic more because I think it introduced a lot of people to Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks than it is something you need to watch annually to be like, this is this is what a rom-com is, like as a little reminder. Yeah, so so I, I, I like it, but I don't, I was, I'm kind of bummed that it didn't click with me on any deeper level and it, it didn't, it wasn't the uh, ticking clock perfect rom-com that I was expecting. It was actually kind of sloppy and clunky at times. It's going to be weird if IQ or the money pit hits uh, hit you harder, I think. <laughs> I'm already bracing for IQ. Um, yeah. I'm kind of liking it. Um, yeah, this was like a nostalgia audit for me completely. And it was... It, it's, not, it's not as good of a movie as I remembered, but... I appreciate that now I understand like why it hit me at a young age. Yeah. And when when you get something like that, when you get the realization of like, oh, okay, this is why this was meaningful to me at this point in my life, it's kind of hard to dismiss it entirely. So yeah. I, I think it's charming enough, and I think that it, you know, it has great, it has some really solid performances, it has some really funny moments, and I get why weirdo 10 year old me was really into this movie yeah that's always fun to go back and go oh i see what i what i saw in this movie like you're able to rewatch a movie through like you know your 10 year old version of yourself um since since we're not gonna have you on well we didn't have you on for an episode that's already released <laughs> volcano and we're not gonna have you on next week i am curious where you fall on the other two tom hanks uh meg ryan movies as well i've actually never seen joe versus the volcano so I imagine I will be inspired to see it when I listen to your episode. A lot um, of effusive praise from myself. And <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember liking uh, "You've Got Mail," but I, for some reason, "Sleepless in Seattle" was always the one that stuck out in my head more hmm. as the better movie. I don't remember why. Like I remember seeing "You've Got Mail" in theaters. And thinking like, oh yeah, that was a fun romantic movie. Um, but like, oh, but Sleepless in Seattle, that's like that's the that's the real good one. That's the that's the best one they've done. Um, that's the good shit. Yeah. I don't know why. Um why you've got mail didn't hit me in the same way. So I'm curious actually to revisit uh when when you do that one too. Yeah, um, it's funny that you mentioned that though, because I even though I love You've Got Mail and like even though problematic elements aside, like I just watched it six months ago, like it is such a such a good like rewatchable movie that I enjoy watching. I probably would have said Sleepless in Seattle was the better movie. Yeah. Like I like this one better. It's light and breezy and pleasant, but yeah, Sleepless in Seattle is like the serious. I would have probably agreed with that statement because yeah. it feels more important than You've Got Mail. I and I don't like either of them as much as I like Meg Ryan in When Harry Met Sally. Like no. that's 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 the Meg Ryan rom com for me. Like that's that's the one I think back to the most, and the one I've rewatched the most times. Carrie, thank you so much for joining us on the number five episode you are on. Thank you for uh, having me. 
we love having you on. We're excited uh, for your next appearance, which will be on a side cast, but I'm sure it won't be too long till you're back in the We Love to Watch seat is again as well. Uh, what do you have to promote? I don't really have anything this time. Um, I've I've timed up previous uh, guest spots with like things that I've worked on that have come out to the public, but uh, I I don't have anything new this time. I hopefully will by the time I speak with you again. But uh, yeah, um, I'm just glad to be able to swing by and chat with you for a bit. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. This is always. Always amazing to have you on. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to talk to you next time. And totally memorable. No one would ever forget one episode you appeared in or anything like that. (laughs) Everything is fused into my brain, uh, like with a branding iron. Uh, Peter, what are we talking about next week? Um, Hold on. Let me let me send you something. Click, 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 click. Bloop. You've got mail. You've got herpes. (laughs) <laughs> um so dumb i'm so tired i apologize that's gonna get edited out um <laughs> but uh yeah uh yeah so peter I actually don't know going into going into this when's the last time you've seen it and uh, i know it's the only one you've seen did you like it mm-hmm. okay i saw it three or four years ago and back then i was probably more cynical about rom-coms so i feel like it'll okay. be much better this time and that was the first time you saw it like three or four years ago no, I, I saw it growing up a bunch. But oh, okay. Three or four years ago was the last time I saw it. So it's uh, it, it has been a little bit, but I feel like I feel like I'm going to be pretty positive on it. I hope so. Um, I think it's going to fit a formula, but I like that formula. And here's the other thing: our guest for that episode, David Clark. I don't know what he thinks about the movie. He picked it, and he's been reluctant to pick movies he disdains in the past which i always uh, appreciate of, well yeah, yeah we're not a bad movie podcast we do yeah. bad movies sometimes but we're not a bad movie podcast yeah so that's so i'm assuming he likes it it is it does take place in everyone's favorite city new amsterdam mm. i'm so tired carrie that's gonna get <laughs> well, we'll that up too. um uh, and then we're doing money pit and iq as you we've said many times so that's it, I guess. Yeah, that's it. And uh, um, I'm about to be sleep full in Minneapolis. Yeah, Carrie, thanks for calling in. Thanks yeah, for having and, me. Uh, and let's let's end uh, the way the cool the coolest person in this movie does. H and G, guys. H and G. H and G. Hi and goodbye. Thanks for spelling it out, you asshole. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch, or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment, tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.